Welcome back to the Women of Marvel podcast, where we assemble to chat all things Marvel and more. Hey guys, it's Judy. Hey guys, it's Sana. And today we are kicking off a special two-part episode about the making of comics. We talk so much to creators about like their experiences writing comics, but a lot of people don't understand like the fundamentals, the artistic process of what it means to make an actual comic book. And we are highlighting Excalibur number one, which just came out October 30th, and we're very excited to be joined by the writer Teeny Howard, the artist Marcus Toe on the book, and editor Jordan White. And we also have one of my favorite people, C.B. Sobolski. Oh, thank you, Sana. <laughs> he, he also happens to be editor-in-chief of Marvel Comics. Yep, just a fan who makes comics. <laughs> <laughs> just like one of the most important people in comics. Yes, and a big supporter of the women of Marvel. And I've known CB now for, God, I think I want to say like 13 years. Yeah, it's been before we were both at Marvel. Yeah, and now you're editor-in-chief, and I think it's so incredible. You know, um, I have a job I love. I have a job I've dreamed of having since I was a kid. I still wake up every day with a smile on my face and pinch myself that I get to go to Marvel on a daily basis and work with these amazing people and these amazing characters, characters that I've loved since I was a kid. And, you know, editor-in-chief, it's a tough job. You know, you kind of each editor-in-chief kind of makes their own way and defines a position on their own. Uh, you know, for me, the way that I look at it is, is that, you know, I'm the quarterback of the editorial team, helping decide what the books are going to be, creating the publishing plan. But as Marvel has grown as quickly as we have over the last, you know, 10 to 15 years as a, a company, and we've become this kind of global entity. My job now, more so than maybe other people's, is to make sure that the Marvel characters and stories and storylines and content that we're creating goes back out into the other lines of business, to the other companies, so that, you know, Marvel Studios and Marvel TV and Marvel Family Entertainment and Marvel Games knows what we're producing. Anybody who has a good idea gets reflected in the other mediums that we create. So, you know, if there's something cool that we see that Games has created, like Luna Snow, for example, um, or, you know, something cool that happens in the movies, like what, you know, Kevin and Ryan Coogler did with Shuri, which started in the comics, but they took it and they expanded upon it. We want to take those ideas and bring them back into comics. So yeah. it's kind of like I'm at the center of all of that. So let's actually get into it. Let's talk a little bit about Excalibur okay. um, and talk a little bit about the context of the series and how it came to be. So, yeah, Jonathan Hickman, mad genius that he is, uh, you know, had taken a break from Marvel. He spent so much energy with us putting together Fantastic Four and Secret Warriors and Secret War all those times uh, that, you know, John took a break. And it was about two years ago now he came back to us. He said, hey, here's the pitch. We're going to cancel every single X-Men book <laughs> and start from scratch. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Do you know exactly what the X-Men mean to fans? It means to Marvel on a bigger picture. But we read the idea, and it was crazy, but it was brilliant, and we knew that. So we decided that we were going to go with John's plans and launch House of X and Powers of Ten, two series that recently wrapped that uh, led into the Dawn of X. And these were two series that kind of redefined and reimagined what the X-Men were. And what we've done now with House of X and Powers of Ten and now Dawn of X, which Excalibur is a part of, is kind of build upon what's gone before and take the mutants in a different, put them in a different place than they've ever been to before in the Marvel Universe. Putting them at the center of everything, giving them their own identity, giving them a new status quo, and telling these amazing stories with this crazy cast of characters that we've grown over the last 40 years. So let's talk a little bit about what you have to do as EIC in terms of planning out all the stories that we have for a year, and then also when you're looking at an event and what makes sense for a tie-in book and what makes sense also just for an event. Yep. First and foremost, 
Trust your writers, trust your editors. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, the thing that's so great about working with everybody here at Marvel, you know, on the creative side, the editorial side, the managerial side is in some way, shape or form, everybody's a fan. Everybody grew up with Marvel in their lives, hardcore fans or, you know, they're newer fans who have been touched by this. So everyone we work with has a passion to put out the best stories possible. And the hardest part of planning out something like Dawn of X with these six titles that we launched was who's going to get what characters? Because everybody wants to work with Wolverine or everybody wants to work with Nightcrawler. Everybody wants Colossus in their books, the big characters that people love. But the other thing that was great is that we've got these new writers who are relatively new to Marvel who grew up on the X-Men from a different time. And they came into it with this great attitude of we, we want to take these new characters and make them cool. Um, and it's great because I always say that there are really no bad characters at Marvel. There's just characters that haven't been written well yet. Totally, um, yeah. And through some of these books, especially some of the characters that Teeny chose in Excalibur, it may not be mainstream Marvel characters that you've seen in other medium or in the films just yet, but she's got interesting takes on every character that she has. And, you know, it was up to, to me and up to Jordan to make sure that these characters didn't conflict in other books and that their storylines were straight and they live in this new status quo that Jonathan set up with Krakoa and for the mutants in the Marvel Universe. So it's it's kind of like being a director of the film. It's like you have all these different pieces in place and we just have to make sure that they fit into the right places and don't contradict each other. Why do you think Teeny and Marcus were the best fit for this series? Uh, Teeny and Marcus fit this book so well because one... Uh, you know, if you look at some of the other books that Teeny has written before, they have a heavy magic bent to them. And Excalibur was a book that always played uh, in Otherworld, which is kind of a separate world with Morgan Le Fay and a lot of more magical characters. And that's where she wanted to explore. And we know given her personal interests and her interest in the way that she's written other books, she was the perfect character to bring magic into this world of, of the X-Men universe. And Jonathan felt very strongly about that. But she's also a huge tabletop game player and loves fantasy. So she looked at the X-Men not as much as a comic per se, but as a campaign that she was doing in a game. And each of the kind of mutants that she chose has an archetype uh, from the fantasy world. And Marcus also loving that world and the way that he has this lighter style, this more open style. He takes some kind of cues from Japanese manga, takes some cues from uh, classic fantasy art from Frazetta. Uh, he's able to really visualize what Teeny had in her head, what she was able to put on paper and bring these characters to life in a way that's going to appeal to so many different people who might not like the X-Men, but like magic books or like fantasy or like, uh, you know, young adult titles. And this comic really came together as a mix of that in both story and art. Teeny and Marcus and Jordan all bring such diverse perspectives to this book. So uh, let's kick it off and welcome all to the podcast. Hello, everyone. And uh, we are kicking off the conversation on how writers, artists and editors work together to make a comic. And we have three of those amazing people joining us. Welcome Jordan D. White, who is a senior editor here at the X in the X office. Yes. Thank you for having me here. Uh, we have Teeny Howard, who is the writer for Excalibur. Hello. Glad to be back. And we've got Marcus Toe on the phone, uh, who's coming live from Toronto, uh, who is the artist on the book. Uh, hi. How's it going? <laughs> We figured out the logistics of technical things and we, we are all here. Um, I guess let's start at the beginning. Like, where did the idea to bring back Excalibur come from? Well, oh, that's that's complicated. Yeah, it's it's a good story. You know, what became Excalibur started as, you know, just kind of a thought exercise. It was me reading a lot of what Jonathan Hickman, who most of you guys know, is the House of X powers of 10 writer and architect, 
you know, he sent over a lot of uh, a lot of documents and kind of like a, a story Bible. And I read over it. And when I read it, it, it opened up all these questions in my mind. And I was kind of, you know, invited to be like, OK, there's there's a space for you to make a book about what in this world speaks to you? You know, what in this new mutant status quo is meaningful to you? So I kind of wrote like an essay. I mean, I came in, it was a it was a pitch, but it wasn't fully a story yet. It was this essay about mutant magic and the idea of mutants with a new status quo, that they aren't on the run anymore and they can build these scholarly pursuits. The idea that, you know, what would be the next evolution of the evolved? And the pitch had a lot to do with magic and belief and the ideas of, of homes and, and culture. And I brought it in to Jonathan and Jordan and everyone and, and shared it. Jonathan and, and Jordan kind of looked at each other and said, this sounds like an Excalibur book. Uh, and I said, oh, I, I guess you're right. <laughs> it's this amazing fantasy world that's tied specifically to mutant kind. Yeah. Why don't you explain what Excalibur is all about? Sure. I mean, the quick version is that it's a British X book. The slightly longer version is it's a British X book that leans into kind of fun and magic and fantasy in a in a way that more than the X books did. Um, it would have a humor element to it, and it starred Kitty Pride, uh, Nightcrawler, Rachel Summers, who at the time was called the Phoenix, Captain Britain, and uh, Captain Britain's girlfriend Megan, who's a shapeshifter. And they come together in the first, uh, in the one shot that brings them all together uh, through circumstance because Kitty and Nightcrawler think the X-Men are dead and Rachel has been missing for a long time. And so they end up going, well, we'll, we'll work together and we'll stay together in England and we'll do a bunch of things. And they went on this crazy multiversal journey and they went to the magical realms of Otherworld and they had adventures with Merlin and with, with space aliens and all sorts of crazy things. And it was really, really excellent. I kind of felt like, well, it would feel really phony to just go, yeah, they're doing that again. So then we start at some point thinking, what is Excalibur? What makes a book Excalibur rather than just another X-Men book? And one of the elements was the fantasy element and the, the magical element and the others being probably England and then a little bit more Captain Britain in specific. And our Captain Britain in this book is a different Captain Britain. Yeah. So there are a lot of uh, a lot of mutants on the Excalibur team that are not from the UK. But it's interesting because now when we're looking at them, you know, we're not looking at them as, oh, they're from America or, you know, Nightcrawler is from Germany. We're not we're not looking at it like that. They're they're Krakoan. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of them is called to defend a nation, one of her nations, which is uh, Betsy Braddock. Formerly known as Psylocke, you know, when we first met her, she was just this weirdo English telepath that the X-Men didn't really trust. And then she kind of becomes part of the family. And then as a lot of Psylocke fans know, for a very long time, she was in the body of a a ninja named Quenon. Um, And recently they were, you know, they were sort of amicably divorced. um, (laughs) And Quenon is having her own adventures in uh, Brian Hill's book, Fallen Angels. And Betsy Braddock is uh, taking up the mantle of Captain Britain. And that's what was really exciting to me was making a new Captain Britain and giving her a a why, you know, giving her a hero's journey. Teeny, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think all but Betsy were your choices that you pitched originally, right? Well, the original pitch was kind of more of like, and, you know, it was more of a a kind of statement. But then in the room, uh, we kind of did like a a draft. Yeah, we did. That's right. That's right. Yeah, we did like a mutant draft where we sat down with with. Cards. Yeah, I literally had yeah index cards, and we wrote the names of all the mutants we could. Yeah, everyone got a stack, and we all wrote down, which was great because it's like you know if you have if you're an X Men fan, you always have those mutants you really like that you feel like everyone else forgets. So we all got to like put their name on a card and pitch them to the room. 
Um, so we kind of made, you know, a big, massive pile of X-Men flashcards. And uh, we, you know, we did a draft. We had people go, okay, well, I really want this guy. And then kind of would justify to the room how. And some of them we would say, well, I think you should use this person. And someone would say, I'm hearing your pitch, but I don't like it. I don't want to use them. You, I remember you tried so hard to put Polaris on Marauders. She's a Polaris. Like, she, <laughs> like literally, North. Jerry like, Duggan not. left the room and you were like, uh, no, but he really should have Polaris. And you put the card <laughs> in his little stack. Yeah, he had like a thing on the wall of his Marauders cast. And I stuck Polaris up there, even though like at no point had he showed he any like, what, interest. What, what's she doing there? What's yeah, I just did it because I was like, think about it, Jerry. Uh, but I love that team. That Marauders team is so good. But yeah, it was a, a lot of fun. It was. A, why, why did you pick the people you picked? Oh, I picked the people I picked a lot of them because they're my favorites, but also <laughs> also because they had, you know, they had a, a place on the team that made sense for me. A lot of the book is about this idea of like connection. So for me, it was like looking through these characters that I thought had a connection in their lives that seemed ripe for the kind of exploration I wanted the characters to do. There's no mistake that when we look at the team, most of the people we see are this family of the Braddocks. We see Rogue and Gambit, who are a married couple. We see Jubilee, who's a mother and has her son with her in a place where not a lot of mutants or not a lot of humans go. They These are people that have these connections in them, and it's, it's a baked-in part of the story. It's funny. I feel like, is it a childhood game, or is it actually your work life when you're talking about <laughs> how you pick characters mm-hmm. and, like, did you ever imagine that this was ever going to happen? That you're suddenly like, this is my life now and I make money off of picking my favorite X characters. I used to put on a raincoat and sunglasses <laughs> and run around in the yard pretending to be Jubilee. Like, awesome. <laughs> Basically, now you just write about Jubilee. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you do her like hand things when you're writing her? Oh my God, I loved on 4th of July when you got sparklers as a kid because I was like, I'm Jubilee. <laughs> That's great. Jordan, you're sort of like the producer bringing all of the elements into play and kind mm-hmm. of making sure the vision of the book is aligned. So you guys are talking about the vision. You guys are, you know, talking about story. Why was Marcus the perfect person for this? We'd been working with Marcus on, on other X books. He was drawing a book called Next Gen, which was part of the Age of X-Men miniseries group, whatever <laughs> group of miniseries we were doing. Um, and he was doing an amazing job there. And we started casting this book and we were like, oh, I mean, we'd really love to have him on this book. Like he would do a, an amazing job, but he wouldn't fit timing wise. And so unfortunately, we had to pull him off of uh, Next Gen early so that he could jump over Aww, to Excalibur. Sorry, Marcus. So, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, I think we shared his art with Teeny and with uh, with Jonathan, who's working closely on all the books with us. And everybody was really excited with his art. And we uh, called him up and, and wrangled him to be a part of this. I was already a big Marcus fan. So Jordan called me up and pitched his name, and I, I think I said yes real fast. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've, Marcus, I've loved your work for a long time. You know that. <laughs> you, you, you forgot to mention the time where I begged you guys, but, I mean, we can, we can admit that. <laughs> well, I have a question because I think, you know, within the world that we live in, obviously we know tons of creators and we understand their style, but, like, when you start thinking about an artist on a book, are there words that you put towards the type of artist you're looking for? So the thing that Tom Brevoort always says about casting books is that it's it's not science, it's alchemy. And it that's 100% accurate, which is appropriate. That's the Excalibur tagline. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that you, you, you kind of like, you know, taking one element that you are familiar with, a writer, and another element you're familiar with, an artist, and trying to imagine what magic will occur, what what spontaneous blend will happen. Because it isn't simple math. It's going to be a collaboration and something unexpected is going to grow out of it. We knew the kind of story that Teeny wanted to tell. 
and we were trying to think of artists that we thought could capture it. I, I, and also, I will be honest, also a little bit, we don't want to get someone who is like aping Alan Davis, Alan Davis being the artist of the original run of Excalibur. But I want to get somebody who has a feel that isn't completely foreign to an Excalibur feel as well. And and I think Marcus definitely really fit that. He's... I don't want to. I don't want to describe his art with him on the phone. Yeah, with us. that's weird. <laughs> go on, go on. <laughs> Please compliment me more. <laughs> well, Marcus, why don't you tell us about what drew you to this particular series? Well, uh, I mean, growing up in the '90s, X Men was a big part of my life and a big reason why I got into comics in the first place, and that includes uh, titles like Excalibur, Uncanny X Men, everything everything with an X on it. And um, to be honest with you, I would have said yes to anything the X office wanted me to do. <laughs> I, I would have just jumped on, on board with everything. My favorite part of the creative process in making a comic book is sort of once you get that kind of idea of what you want to do, then saying, hey, Marcus Toe, we want to make this into a reality. We want these visuals to come out. Marcus, what was your process to make the world of Excalibur come to life? Do you sort of just start sketching right away uh, or you just immediately start on the first page of Excalibur? Like, how do you get into it? Actually, I like to read the script first because after reading the first story, you kind of get an idea of what we want to do with it. Um, I mean, especially with Excalibur, you know, I tried to look at what was done before by uh, Alan Davis. I tried to read up about some of the, you know, the power signatures that each character has, uh, trying to see what other artists have done with it and see where I can, you know, uh, elaborate on what is already there. Also, I know Tini and Jordan wanted to explore that magical realm. So looking up reference for different English mythology uh, and then what other artists have done in the past, you know, give you an idea for style, especially when we're going into other worlds and um, dream worlds and a lot of things that uh, end up being very different than what you normally look at it with perhaps a next book. I'll definitely say, like, I think that your design for the new Captain Britain armor is great. It's such a great combination of the look of a suit of armor, but also with a superhero costume. Like, it's, it doesn't go too far into suit of armor. Um, like, it still looks like she can fly around and, and kick butt with it. Like, it's it's really cool. Um, yeah. So, Thanks. Yeah. I love a tough girl in armor, like, so much. And so, like, admittedly, at like right at the beginning I was like like make her Joan of Arc like give her like make her as big and tough and it's like that's not really Betsy like and Marcus did a really really good job of looking at my references I I totally make like boards of references and some of them are like hey you know this is really cool armor this might inspire you the lines are cool or something and then some of them are just like look how pretty this girl's hair is (laughs) it reminds me of Betsy's and then some of it is like this isn't even anything I'm ever going to ask you to draw. It's just a feeling I have or like a quote <laughs> that belongs. But I think that helps a lot. Like just telling me the feeling of, of something in the, that really pushes ideas in my head uh, of what maybe you want. And I mean, especially when you work in conjunction with the colorist, you can really push some of those ideas that, uh, you know, having just still images kind of evoke that same emotion or at least try to. You know, we're, we're making a visual language. Um And part of that is, you know, that alchemy that Jordan was talking about is when, you know, when Marcus and I realized together, like, it's not that I'm making the characters say and do one thing and Marcus is drawing them how they're, it's like, we are communicating to the reader. And part of that is 
Marcus does his job so well that I don't have to say, uh, you know, Apocalypse is in comfier clothes because he doesn't have to fight all the time. I don't have to state that in the dialogue. I don't, that's that's part of what Marcus is telling the reader. I think that's also why uh, at the very beginning of Excalibur, before we, I saw any scripts or anything like that, I, I made sure to speak to Tini on the phone just to kind of talk out what we're doing and hearing what she wants and and what she was thinking about for so long kind of really helps make sure that the art matches with the words as well as it can be. It was also just a good test to see how we communicate, you know, being <laughs> an artist and a, and a writer together. Um, I don't know, as a comic fan, I feel like sometimes when the people behind the book aren't communicating, you can you can smell it. <laughs> like you can get a sense of it sometimes. Yeah, I mean, it was great. I mean, and especially being a big fan of Marcus, it helped me not be so intimidated. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not a very intimidating person. That's <laughs> but I didn't know that before I talked to him. <laughs> <laughs> Two other details of the character designs that I just want to mention quick is, first of all, I love Gambit's little hoodie that he wears now. It is super great. Um, second of all, I love Richter's new costume because it, it, it is a callback to his early costumes, but it looks cool and modern. And so, again, great how job. Do you, but ha- <laughs> how do you decide, especially when you're rebooting a series, mm-hmm. How do you decide when it's time to redesign a character and when to kind of keep it to a certain classic look? That's a really good question. I mean, so for the X line right now, like we're doing a a mix, very much a mix of characters with new looks and characters with either classic looks or the looks they just had just recently. Um, For this book in particular, though, I think because... It has that fantasy element. We did push to redesign the characters at least a little bit to add in that fantastical element. Like Gambit is a good example. His costume, there's certain things about Gambit's costume you kind of don't want to change. Yeah. You want him to have the weird head. I don't even know what to call it. Head The head thing, sock, head the coat, sock, cowl the hair, thing. I, you know. And we, and we like that he has the jacket. The jacket looks good on him. But, again, the fact that he added this hood that, like, it adds this... Um, this element that just makes him look like a like a like a D and D thief. I was gonna say, yeah, like one of the one of the big things I've been doing with this book that I you know I, I kind of have talked to Marcus and Jordan about is that I'm like you know in a very real way to me they're an adventuring party, and they're really like subtle things too that Marcus does. Like sometimes when they're in the other world, they'll be like just slightly different because reality is different there. And I feel like ten years ago, if I tried to be like it's like X Men but D and D, it'd be like the you know the the. <laughs> The overlap for that is a lot smaller than you're thinking. But now it's like these are things that are just in the public mm-hmm, eye so much mm-hmm. that I can lean on the fact that I've been a fantasy fan and a fantasy gamer my whole life. And I can look at this. like They, they are in a lot of ways. They're an adventuring party. You know, Gambit's got that high dex. <laughs> and it, and I, I have actually for a very long time always said that it is messed up that Gambit's name should be Rogue. Right. Because He's his name should yeah. be Rogue. It makes way more sense. <laughs> right. <laughs> Once you guys dive into, when you guys kind of hit the ground running in terms of the actual production, you start going into script mode. Mm-hmm. You dive in and start kind of giving notes and feedback on overall story. And Marcus is kind of working on designs and stuff. How do you guys balance each of your individual positions and just kicking off the process? Do you have like special robes that you wear just to get into the <laughs> pine frame of writing the script. Like, oh, what's we're the... asking that. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I'll say that one of the big things I try to do is I try not to put, like, huge surprises for Jordan and Marcus. Like, I try to make sure that Jordan and Marcus are somewhat abreast of, of what I'll be doing going forward. You know, I, I want Marcus to be able to have as much time as he needs to think about what he wants to do. I want Jordan to know ahead of time because sometimes he has to get approvals for me if I want to use certain characters or do certain things. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be that writer that's like, surprise, everyone's dead at the end of the script. You know, <laughs> I, I, um, 
So one of the big things I try to do is I do you know a lot of outlining and uh, script beats and things so that we can get an idea of where I'm going before I'm actually writing the script. Because once you sit down and you're really writing the script, sometimes like sometimes you get really married to stuff while you're writing it, and then if someone doesn't know ahead of time that you're doing it, they see it and they say, okay, you have to change it. That can take the wind right out of your sails if you're really excited about a moment. So yeah, one of the big things I try to do is to figure out big beats and make sure that we're aware of, of the general direction I'm going. Scripting for me is, I'm not like a page one panel one person. I often, like if I sit down and I need to get started on a script and I don't have the motivation to write, which happens some days when it's your job, you don't always wait for motivation or inspiration. Sometimes you sit down and do the work. Sometimes I'll write the parts I want to write first. You know, sometimes I'll sit and I'll, I'll just type out the dialogue for a scene and then I'll go back and I'll be like, OK, now let's fit this into what's going on in the scene. And then as I look at it, I'm like, OK, well, a lot of this dialogue can go now. But I, I so I edit myself a lot when I write. And then when I get a script together, it usually goes to Jordan first. You know, it's not it's not to keep it from Marcus. It's to get it so that if there is something in their major I need to change, Marcus doesn't start thinking about it and drawing it before Jordan has had a chance to look at it and give it approvals. Um, so I turn in my script, and then it goes to Jordan and uh, and Marcus. There's so many steps. There's so many moving pieces to it all. I mean, one of the big things that I have to do is the scheduling side of things, too, me and, uh, and my assistant Annalise on this book. Because comic books typically come out monthly, but first of all, this book is coming out more than monthly at the beginning. And in addition, I would say most comic book artists nowadays take a little bit longer than a month to draw a book. So so we have to schedule out when we're going to need all the scripts, how long it'll take Marcus to draw each one of them and make sure that is all correct and, and worked out ahead of time and agreed upon. Um, and then, yeah, when we get the script in, we'll read it over, make sure it's cool, make sure it's... I mean, I, I always say that the quick version of what an editor's job is is to make sure that the parts of the comic get done on time and to make sure they're as good as possible when they are done. So it's kind of that constant balance of how much can we do before we have to actually do this or send it to the printer and things like that. And it's great to have Jordan, who's like one of the world's biggest Excalibur fans, as my editor, because I feel like if I can make him happy with an Excalibur story, oh, yeah. I'll make anyone happy. So typically we'll get the script in. Me and Annalise will both read it. We'll talk about it if we if we have anything we want to talk about. We'll send notes back to Teeny if there's anything we want to change or th- recommend changing and stuff. Yeah. We'll talk about it. We'll She'll get it done, and then we'll shoot it off to Marcus. And like I said, he knows when his deadline is, and so he'll start drawing. What's your process? What's, what, how are th- what are things like on your end, Marcus? Well, the, the good thing about being an artist is actually that it's pretty you know straightforward because once we get the script, barring any major changes, nothing changes. Nothing should change at least <laughs> yeah. by the time it gets into my hands. Usually, I take a day to read it, you know, just to kind of really just prepping myself for the month long you know marathon. I've been working in the industry for a long time, so now my process has gotten relatively you know standardized i go to the studio every day i'm I'm with a you know i try to get here 10 a.m 11 a.m and and just start working right away so i i usually do my layouts first a really rough just headshot sometimes and then i tighten it up over the week and then pass it on to the editors um i try to do between five to ten at a time since a, a book's about 20 pages and then if i get notes back then i still have chance to uh fix it and then um, I jump right into the pages right after I send uh, layouts to them. I uh, work digitally so I can change things a little bit easier. But uh, yeah, it's it's really standardized. After 15 years of working in the industry, I just kind of know exactly how long it takes me to do stuff. <laughs> One of the things that's really cool is like 
the more we work together, the more we build this world together. So it's cool how like layouts yeah. just as you go on. I mean, because for those who aren't as well-versed in the comic process, you know, the layouts are basically really rough versions of what the pages should look like. And I, I look at them to make sure, and Jordan looks at them as well, um, mostly to make sure that we're on the same page, you know, for huh, pun intended, I guess. Um, yeah, the I mean, the idea that like, you know, if I say uh, a giant eagle is shooting fire at them. Oh, spoilers! <laughs> um, then, uh, you know, if I write the dialogue with the thought that the characters are on the left side of the page, but I didn't specify that in the script and Marcus drew it on the right side of the page. Like, layouts are an opportunity to fix that before Marcus is really putting work into these pages. Layouts is kind of funny because a lot of it is just me reading it and being like, what the heck am I going to do with this? <laughs> and it's a lot of this like I'm hair so pulling sorry. and a lot of, you know, it's okay. It's it's generally the case, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And you just kind of look at it and you're staring at this page for so long. I have two screens. So I have one screen on my page and then one screen of the script. And it's almost like that double take where you're just looking at the words and looking at this at the page and you're like, what am I going to do? And then just pulling my hair out, trying to figure it out. And then somehow it gets done. But that's, <laughs> but I think that's so, so awesome because you are trying to solve a problem and you are, you know, obviously it's all just coming from your imagination and your brain and your talent and you're being able to translate that just based on sheer talent. But like we liken artists to directors because mm-hmm. you truly are setting the visual direction of what the entire series and story is going to be and the kind of storytelling that is being told. Like, Teeny is giving you, you know, obviously her take on what she wants the story to be, and then you take it and adapt it into the next thing. You know, it's yeah. it's like a balance. Like, I wouldn't call what Marcus does execution. I would, yeah. I would call it elevation. Like, it's... Totally. We always use the word, oh, it brings it to life, but it's like... I think that's kind of like a, a cheesy way to describe what is actually, like, an incredible amount of hard work. And, like, a big part of that is just, like, the more and more we work together, the more we kind of enter that groove. And it's also – it helps me be a better writer. Like, I know how to write for Marcus. Like, like this is a funny thing that that I don't think anyone knows. Uh, sometimes when I'm writing a script and I have, like, a really crazy page in mine, I'll start and I'll be like, okay, Marcus, and I'll talk to Marcus in the script, right? It's like a letter to him. And so I'll start being like, I don't know how we're going to do this, but I'm going to leave it to you. But here are my ideas. And I'll write like seven sentences. And then I'm like, oh, wait, oh, I, I can make this much easier. And I just like delete all seven sentences and be like, this is what I think will work. But it's incredible because I'm not an artist. So sometimes when I'm writing, what I'm basically doing is making suggestions for how I would visualize this. But in the hands of someone who is a visual artist, he's always going to impress me. He's always going to put something there that I'm like, yes, that is a much better visual way to tell this story. I'm not a visual storyteller, though I work in a visual medium. Marcus is. I I find it funny because literally I'm working on that page exactly that you're talking about. (laughs) I'm sitting there. I'm like, I'm not sure where where, where I'm going. Is it the one with the diagram? I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah, it is. No, no, no. It's okay. I'm like, how am I supposed to show both the ground and the sky at the same time? (laughs) You don't have to. Oh, my God. (laughs) I can rewrite it. Um. (laughs) No, 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 no. We'll we'll figure it out. This is editing happening live. I I think I I figured something (laughs) out with that. You're seeing the comic process in action. Yes. I have actually a question for you, Marcus, because different artists have different styles and designs. Like, do you prefer a full script or a plot script? Like, how much information do you want and how much creative freedom do you want to be able to kind of make whatever you want on the page? Or do you Oh, I have this question for Marcus, too. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm helping you out. 
creative I, therapy. I actually like a full script. I mean, a lot of people don't because I f- a lot of people feel like they need to do exactly what the writer says. But from my experience, the more information is never a bad thing. I just read it and then kind of get the gist of what they want me to do. And then I'll make the visual decision of whether to omit certain things or to keep him. You know, sometimes when I watch movies, I really like those little details. Like I was watching uh, Honor Majesty's Secret Service, ah. the 007 movie yesterday. And I was talking to my girlfriend about how I love these little visual cues where, you know, they were talking about this thing that he was using but then later on you see the same thing in his hand but you don't talk about it and it's just stuff like that that i love about you know creating is to to make these visual cues and and give the the reader the information that they can to enjoy the story to its fullest yeah when i'm when i'm writing full script one of my favorite things is like if i want to have a character feeling or acting a certain way i guess i could go find a picture of someone making that face and say, hey, Marcus, she's making this face. But I'm not really interested in that. What I'm more interested in is being like, hey, Marcus, you know the feeling when one of your friends is being dumb and embarrassing you and you want to speak up, but you know you shouldn't? Okay, they're making that face. You know, like (laughs) it's more fun to be like, Marcus, here's what everyone's feeling. Here's what's going on in this scene. And and Marcus is, it's a phrase we used to refer to comic artists. He's a great actor. His characters are incredible actors. They have great micro expressions and moments and, like, we've been talking about how we love how frustrated Betsy is all the time. Like, Marcus's <laughs> Betsy is so beautiful, but she's always, like, low-key irritated. And I love it because it's, like, one of those traits that Betsy Braddock has always had is being, like, mildly irritated. I never really figured that I would be that kind of person. But uh, from all the commissions I seem to get, it seems to lean towards that direction, I guess. Yeah, I mean, your art is very it's, – it's fun and exciting and your characters are great actors. Like, I mean – there's a reason that if so many of his fans just commission him for their favorite characters, because Marcus is so good at making everyone just believable and lovable and real. But yet still just sitting, doing nothing, like eating a burger. <laughs> <laughs> Who's your favorite member of the team to draw right now? Oh, I mean, Captain Britain for sure. Yeah, uh, so Betsy's just so much fun to draw, and I feel like I, I really got a hang of you know drawing her. But uh, I think the new one right now, because... Um, you know, Richter's been really fun to try to figure out. Sure. You can do so many things visually with his powers, specifically because he, he like works with the earth and you can have so much, I don't know, detail and different things that you can play with. Have you guys had any creative differences that oh. during the Ooh. process? Let's get some drama in here. Guys. I know that <laughs> at the beginning I was like, really, really wanted Betsy to be in, like, a full suit of armor all the time because oh, I sorry. was like, no, 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 but I don't anymore. <laughs> like, I, I don't anymore, and I, I, it's, look, a lot of writers don't like their notes. I like my notes. I eat my breakfast. Like, I, I would always rather have an editor give me a note when I'm still drafting a comic than have someone point out something to me six months down the line at a convention when I'm on a panel, and I'm like, uh, I'm embarrassed because no one caught that, you know? So I like my notes. Uh, but yeah, that was really early on. I remember being like, I want her to be fully armored all the time. And then I realized that was like just my adoration of women in armor talking. And it wasn't really Betsy. And then with, you know, Jordan and, and Marcus's work and Marcus actually, you know, turned in a couple designs and some of them were like a lot more like a knight. And, yeah, more bulky armor. Yeah. Like, and yeah. they weren't quite right. You know, the one that we've gone with is great because it's clearly Captain Britain and it's, you know, it's clearly Betsy. And Marcus has added so many wonderful details, like the little flowers in her hair. That helmet is so cool. <laughs> oh, it's so cool. 
I will say that cosplayers, yeah. as someone who is a cosplayer, you wanted armor on it? I did. I know. <laughs> That's so funny. That you didn't I, even think about well, your cosplay life anymore. I Listen, wanted... I don't cosplay anymore. And nowadays, these kids can go get heat-form plastic this. at the fabric store. <laughs> well, and we, we've seen a ton of fan art. Like, that, oh, that response sure. has People been incredible. People love the costume. They really do. So much cool fan art that uh, just makes me really excited because I'm a fan. Like, this is this is the stuff that... You know, I would be cosplaying and, you know, looking at fan art of. It's never too late, Teeny. Yeah, right? <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll cosplay Apocalypse. It'll be great. Just, oh, my just... God, you should. <laughs> Eat myself blue and wear a bed <laughs> How long did you guys plan this out for? Like, how long is oh. it supposed to run? January. Oh, how long are retreat. we planning the Oh, the well, both, actually, well, yeah. Oh. And, and also, like, how is it, like, writing something that is part of, like, an event series? Oh, well, um, so the book itself spins out of House of X and Powers of Ten. I mean, House of X and Powers of Ten set up the status quo of mutants, and this book is an ongoing series that comes out of it. That said, we are doing as much as we can to keep the X line feeling like it is one cohesive uh, line, which is not to say if you don't, if you just want to read Excalibur, you, you can. It'll totally work on its own, but... It'll also feel like it's connected to Marauders and uh, X-Men. And, in fact, there's a Marauders cameo in, in one of the issues. Yeah, issue, issue two, two yeah. Has, has a Marauders cameo, which is great because it's like it's less that I was like, oh, you know, we got to put Kitty and them in here because it's Excalibur. It's more like we have spent, I think, last January was when we sat in the room together and first mm-hmm. talked about this stuff. So for yeah, almost so. a year. Was it really been, January? Wow, that yeah. was a while ago. Yeah. We've been we've been really taking time to build this world and make it feel lived in. And so it's interesting when I, you know, when I want to use like other characters from other books, it feels less like, oh, it's a mandate. Oh, I should have this person show up. And more like storytelling where I sit and I'm like, hmm, when you need something shipped in this world, who would you call? And it's, mm-hmm. well, you would call the Marauders. They do that. You know, if you need dirty jobs, then you call the X-Force. You know, these, these, this world feels real and lived in. Uh, I mean, I feel like I live on Krakoa. <laughs> like, I feel like I've spent the past year of my life nation building Krakoa. Their next big arc is going to really, really get big. We're going to really touch a lot of the new X-Men universe. We're going to have a couple really massive issues where if you're big into the the mythos of what Jonathan is doing, you'll love it. Because Jonathan and I are working really closely on that. I mean, Excalibur doesn't have an, an end date right yeah, now. No, we, you know, we, 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 I mean, this is hopefully... Forever? Yeah. Can it run forever? Yeah. It's uh, caliber yes. 1000 in a few years. Yeah, I'll, I we promise. In our hearts. We'll make Marcus draw really fast and we'll get to Excalibur 1000 in like two years. Hey, I, I, I don't mind that. At, I don't mind that at all. <laughs> but that's another conversation that Marcus and I had early on that was really exciting is that, you know, we understand that people want to see an artist and writer working together as a team. And we're both really committed. And Marcus and I on the phone really early. We're like, we're, we're in this together. Right. Yeah. Like, like neither of us feels like getting four issues into this and bailing. Well, I got my hand on the eject button at any time. <laughs> Do you no, need both your hands to draw? Or? <laughs> yeah. Can I rem- no, no. Can we remove the eject button hand and just leave a drawing hand. But that's so important, having like the writer and the artist on the same page and feeling like they have chemistry and are working towards like a singular vision for what this book is. I'll be from different points of view, but I think that's that's incredibly important. Well, and also different countries, different places of the world. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think this is something that's kind of amazing about Marvel and comics is that your writer can be, you know, in the Carolinas and your artist can be in Toronto or can, they can be in Southeast Asia or they can be in Europe. And you guys just get on the phone, you get on like a Skype chat and you just talk. And it really brings different points of view. Yeah. Mm. Marcus, what's the sort of final steps for you as you finish penciling and it gets approved and gets passed to the colorist? 
Oh, I just go to bed. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, so yeah, I mean, when I get everything done and I pass it on to the colorist, uh, that's kind of the interesting waiting period because I mean, I always have an idea of what it would look like in my head, and then when I get it back from the colorist. Sometimes it's a shock, but it's in a good way, like because they will think of so many different things that I never really thought of. And sometimes it's different, and sometimes you gotta you gotta kind of explain yourself a little bit more. But uh, it's super exciting. Eric's been doing a great job on on the colors, and uh, the first little bit we had to go back and forth. Um, it's interesting seeing how how he would read my my artwork and the script, and how what combination he comes up with. Sometimes they're different. Uh, I know the. The rogue coloring needed a little bit of tweaking, but other than that, wow, it's just been amazing. Colors have such a hard job because, you know, when we're talking about the story, it's, you know, it's Jordan and I or, or Jordan and I and Jonathan agreeing. So then it takes some time for the three of us to end up on the same page. <laughs> so then once that happens and it goes to Marcus, who is already, you know, yeah. three people have already agreed on this. And then so then Marcus has to make his part. And then, so then we've got four people who are all agreeing on it. And then it goes to the colorist. Um, and colorists are so busy and they spend, yeah. I mean, they physically spend less time with the book than, you know, some of us have. Not that it's less of an important contribution, but that, you know, when the, by the time they get to the process, we've already, we've spent so much time talking about how the world looks and how it feels. So there's definitely that period where the colorist is like, well, here's, you know, here's my pitch for how it should look. And then we say, okay, well, that's cool. And we have to have another round of agreement. We're going to be talking to Eric, so we'll see what he Oh, really cool, cool, cool. And, and also, you know, for those <laughs> oh. listening at home and you want to see actual physical ways of sort of how artists work, we have a series called Marvel Quick Draw, which you can watch on uh, Marvel's YouTube and Marvel.com. We actually have an episode with Marcus. Um, he did yep. a uh, commission for us uh, about a year or so ago. It gets more into the little nitty gritty, um, which is really great. I love it. You guys, thank you so much for talking to us. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure. Thanks so much. Thanks again to Teeny, Marcus, and Jordan for joining us on the podcast. It was so great to talk to them about their process and how they all work together, especially with them all being in different places, which I think is so cool. Plus, thanks to CB for joining us. It's my pleasure having been here, and thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for wearing your very cool Captain Marvel, Ms. Marvel outfit for us. He's in the right colors, guys. He's wearing yellow, blue, and red and has a pin. So this is the right room for it. Yeah, yeah, right. exactly. Yeah, so thank you for bringing your your sense of fashion and knowledge of comic books. Fashion plate that I have. <laughs> fashion plate. I'll, I'll, fashion take, plate. I'll take the comic compliment. <laughs> uh, so CB is going to be back for our next episode when we talk with assistant editor Annalise Bissa and colorist Eric Arseniega. So make sure you guys check that out. And go get issue one of Excalibur. It is out right now. You can get it at your local comic book shop or at Line. Um, on the Marvel Comics store and make sure you guys are pre-ordering the next issue. Issue number two is on sale November 20th. And we'll see you guys next week for part two. This is Marvel, your universe. This episode of The Women of Marvel was produced by Rebecca Seidel and Zachary Goldberg and hosted by myself, Judy Stevens, and Sana Aminat. Our audio development manager is Karen Heffa, and Jill Duboff is our director of audio. And thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next time. <laughs>